How many of you like to read instructions? Hands raised. Like to read the instructions. Something comes in the mail, got to put it together yourself, like to read the instructions. How many of you don't like to read the instructions? Hands raised. There we go. All right. Okay, if those of you who do not like to read instructions, how many of you, the reason you don't like to read instructions is because you don't like to read or you don't like to take the time to read? Hands up. Okay, you're like me. I'd much rather just take the picture that came in the mail, take all the parts that came with it, put it in front of me, and I take what they gave me, and I try to make what I have here fit what's on the front of that box. And if I'm honest, nine times out of ten, what happens is I end up reading the instructions anyways, because I have to take everything apart again, because what I've made is a mess. I assumed that all the bolts were the same size. So thus, I assumed that all the bolts would fit where bolts go, and what I made didn't quite look the way it was intended to look. And see, here's the thing. Someone took the time to write those instructions and to hand me all the parts so that I could put this together that would work the most efficiently, the safest, and quite honestly, they want to avoid a lawsuit. And so they gave me what I needed to do it. Let's imagine that I'm putting together a bike for my little girl. Let's imagine they, they hand me the instructions, they hand me the materials. I put together my bike for my little girl. How many of you want the bike to be as efficient and as safe as possible for your little girl to ride it? That's exactly right. Okay, so let's imagine the person who wrote the instructions knows my little girl. Knows her so well that it says that he would die for her. That he loved her so much that he would give his own life for her. And the instructions that he wrote were for her benefit. David said in Psalm 19, for her pleasure. That she would know not only him and his character, but she would know who she was and why she was fit and created in his image, Genesis 1 says. And exactly how she can walk through life in the most perfect of fashion, the safest and most efficient way, living, walking with him into the kingdom. You see, the Bible's often referred to as God's instruction manual to life for us. And it is. But I hope to help us understand today it's so much more than that. It means more than that. In John 1, it says that in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God and the Word was God. And then verse 14, it goes on and it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. You see, the being Bible-centered which is a value that we hold here as a church, and I hope to unpack it today, is not ultimately about loving the Bible. It's about loving Jesus, who shows himself to us through the Bible and who speaks to us through the Bible. In other words, it's not about hungering after the Word for the Word itself. It's about hungering after the Word because it points to Christ. And you see, I want to point this out because too often we have a tendency to get this twisted. We argue over many things when it comes to the issue of the Bible. Too often we get caught in the weeds and we miss the larger picture. Let's, let's take, for example, because I had a conversation like this this week. Let's take, for example, you're someone who sees the Bible solely as figurative, okay? And then there's also those that take the Bible literally, okay? Let's take those two vantage points, okay? And, and I want to say this too. If you're someone who goes, well, the Bible's not figurative, listen, here it is. Allegory was a sophisticated way by which we wrote in the first century. It was a sophisticated way of communicating. I'll prove it to you. Matthew 5. If your right hand caused you to sin, cut it off. 
Now, does God expect us to walk around dismembered? No. In fact, he communicated to us that we are all the hands and feet of Christ and we work together within the body. So he doesn't expect his body to be physically dismembered. What he's talking about is using allegory. It's a powerful way to communicate how intense it is for the things that need to be removed in our lives. And so it doesn't matter whether you look at it figuratively or literally, let me just say, whether it be allegory history, if you apply those two vantage points to, let's say, the Garden of Eden, what's the moral in the end? The same. See, it doesn't matter if it was just a picture or if it literally happened, no matter where you come from, and you've got to be able to start having this communication. We have to be able to have healthy debate reestablished in our culture today. And I want to talk on that a bit today. But here's the reality. The moral's the same. When you look at the Garden of Eden, God created us in His image, created a perfect environment by which we could walk with Him and be in step with Him, to worship Him and love Him with our lives. But then He gave us expanse by which we could choose from, and He loved us perfectly enough to show us that love comes with perfect boundary. And He created one thing and told us to stay away from it because it was harmful for us. And we couldn't do it. We didn't want to be told not what to do. We didn't want to be told what to do. We chose to love ourselves and worship ourselves. And so we decided that we would be gods ourselves. And we failed. And we've been doing it ever since. You see, the reality, that's the only debate that exists when it comes to the issue of faith is whether we will love him and worship him or love ourselves and worship ourselves. And it's really the only debate that exists when it comes to the issue of the Bible. It's not really about being well-informed of the Bible. It's more about whether we'll give the Bible authority or we'll give culture authority. Because both have a message. Both are trying to speak into our lives. Both are vying for our attention. And one speaks really loudly to puffing up your own ego. It speaks to your flesh, while the other speaks to the denying of your flesh. And if you remember what Jesus said about being a disciple, he said, you cannot otherwise be my disciple unless you daily deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. So I want to start. Um, in a moment, we're going to get into Psalm 19. And I, I, Daniel and I, as we were preparing for this message, we just both felt like no, no chapter of the Bible best communicates what the instruction and the love of God is evident in the Scriptures. So we'll get where, to where the psalmist was in a moment. But last week, as we continue in the series, we had the opportunity to look at what it means to treat all as insiders, be a welcoming environment. Our campus pastors did amazing jobs at communicating that. But see, they learned that from here. They learned that from the model that was found in here. Again, they learned it by watching from the scriptures the model of Jesus, and that's how they got to where they did. Today, I want us to understand that God's instruction for us is our plumb line. Do you know what a plumb line is? God's instruction for us is our plumb line. It is, we're never going to build a foundation, survey land, build a house without having something plumb. We, it levels, it builds a foundation. It gives us an ability to build something sound by which we can build upon. It gives and it creates a sound foundation. Even right here in the Gospel of John, which I just read to you, John is establishing by using the word as a plumb line so you understand what it is you're reading. In John 1, he says, In the beginning was the Word, the Word was God, the Word was with God. And lo and behold, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, you could assume that John is talking solely about the Scriptures. But in verse 2, it says that 
that the Word was with God, the Word was God, and in verse 14, dwelt among us. And you'll start to notice that he's not talking about an it. He's not talking about a religious stale book or of scrolls. What he's talking about is a person. He's saying that Jesus is the Word of God. And he's almost establishing before he gets into his gospel, this is important, he's setting a plumb line. He's saying, look, this is one uniform love letter that, is, that has been inspired and many fallible authors have come together to write because they're all under the same inspiration. But all of this is one love letter embodied in the person of Jesus and it points to him, shows us who he is. And he says, before I go into telling you the story of Jesus and his ministry, before I get into uh, what Jesus did in a certain great geographical location to a certain people group, he goes, I want you to understand that this entire thing from Old Testament New is pointing to Jesus. Everything I'm about to share with you is about Jesus. And in Jesus, there is life and light like you'll never find anywhere else. And this Jesus was not some ethereal being. He actually was human, dwelt among us to show us how to live and give life, gave us life through his death and his resurrection. He's saying that the word of God is Jesus. And so when we open the Bible, we are turning to find the truth of who he is. The Bible is the truth about Jesus and what he desires. But I have a really important question for you. And it goes back to the illustration that I just gave a moment ago about reading instruction or not. Have you found your personal way by which you read God's scriptures? Have you found the personal way for you by which you enjoy his scripture and immerse yourself in truth? Some people just don't like to read. Some people don't like taking the time to read. I personally would give you this antidote. I like to read, but I wasn't always this way. I had to learn something really important. If you want to be a good writer, you have to read good writing. Okay? So, it may take an audiobook for you. Audiobook sales have, have like been huge today. They've surpassed even the written form. It may take audiobook. It may take a devotional. It might take worship music that is reciting the scriptures unto you. It might take a children's book. Whatever it is that takes the ornate concepts and the complexities of the scripture that reveal the truth about who Jesus is to immerse that into our lives, whatever we have to do to do it, we need to start. We have to start somewhere. Because it's our plumb line. It's revealing about whom Jesus is, our Lord and Savior, and that we follow him. Does it make sense? Okay. So, um, I want to, again, just emphasize really quickly before I go any further why that's so important. Like the original um, picture I gave you, the illustration of reading instructions with the bike or not. I take a look at something and I look at the parts and pieces that I have and I assume that I can put together a picture as well without reading the instruction as it was intended in the end by the one who first created it. I assume and all I do is create for myself a mess. See, I, I look at a picture and I assume that I can fit it together perfectly when I base my truth and my plan on assumption. The result is oftentimes and almost always a mess. It's not what was intended from the beginning, and it's not the accurate picture of the designer's plan. Psalm 139, 13 and 14 says this, For it was you who created my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. 
I will praise you because I am remarkably and wondrously made. Would we rather trust a creator who knows us, loves us, and has formed us deliberately with a special purpose, or would we rather go the way of the masses, seeking to fit in? I said that both the Bible and culture have a message for us. I want to highlight both. Have you ever noticed just how um, difficult and confusing culture's message is? I'm going to use some old um, advertising here. I was a communications major. I, I focused on advertising. So Nike said, just do it. Feels good, do it. Burger King, there was an old adage. It was, can you say it with me? Have. Say it again louder. Have it your way. That's right, okay. What about uh, McDonald's? I'm loving it. That's right, I'm loving it. It's all about you. And so culture is pushing a message of individualism and it's pushing, be yourself. Think for yourself. Truth is objective. It's personal to you. Whatever you desire for truth to be, that's what it is. You determine truth ultimately. Which, by the way, listen, when you determine truth, that makes you what? When you become the final authority on all things truth, that makes you what? Spell it together with me. G-O-D. Okay? But simultaneously, it also pushes a message that says this. Think for yourself, however, fit in. Think for yourself, be an individual, but agree with me. And it, unless you agree with me, unless you do agree, you're dumb and I hate you. And if you're unsure about this being the reality, let me introduce you to a whole world you probably haven't figured out yet. It's called social media which has almost single-handedly eradicated the forum for healthy debate in our culture. Right? I can say my opinion, but if my opinion does not agree with the masses, I'm dumb and I'm hated. The message of culture is be yourself, do your thing, individualism. However, agree with me, fit in, go the way of the masses, and I like you. Right? How could this be a plumb line for our lives when it's trying to hit a, it's like trying to hit a moving target? In a digital age where everything is outdated within minutes, how can you ever define this or use this as our plumb line for truth? The scriptures is our plumb line. It reveals the truth about who Jesus is. And I say this often, I want to say it very loudly today. In a world where we talk about visionaries and we talk about people who are, um, you know, implementers. Listen, vision is God-breathed. Vision always comes from Scripture. Ideas come from man, and we cannot underestimate the power of a good idea. That's why we think takes away of masterminds. It's important. It's okay. But they serve solely to help us execute vision. We've been talking about vision the entire time as we started this series. What did God desire? To love Him with everything, to love others as He intended, and to lead others to do the same. That is the pointed direction for His body, for His church, His family. That, not, that will never change because that's never changed yet. That is the vision. It's not found in building plans. Those are ideas that serve to fit the greater purpose, the vision. Vision comes from Scripture. And so we must, we must seek it for the truth. Today, the rest of the time together, I want to dig into Psalm 19. 
And so let's open it. And um, I, while I want to get to about seven different verses, I'm going to tell you in advance, I may just be hanging out in one because this one verse really highlights what he, David is trying to say here. It says in verse 7, The instruction of the Lord is perfect, renewing one's life. The testament of the Lord is trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. Point number two, here it is. God's instruction is perfect. That's a really weird adjective, but it, I, I, wanna, I want to highlight it. David, David says that God's word and instruction for us is perfect. If the instruction of the Lord was merely wise, you would think, would you think it would renew your life? Uh, when I read, because I do like to read, when I read those things that are on my shelf that are nonfiction, I read them and they inform me, my knowledge goes up, my instruction goes up, and I hope that that turns to wisdom, but typically the adjective that I would use for reading just uh, nonfiction books is not renewing. It's not perfection. Culture has a tendency to do this for me. It puffs me up, strokes my ego, but I don't say that it renews me. When I accept it and go the way of the masses, I'm liked. Birds of a feather, right? However, that feels good, and I wouldn't say... However, it feels good to be liked, but I'm not going to say that that feels perfecting. How many of you know what perfecting feels like? You see, to go the way of the masses, it feels comfortable, it feels great to be widely accepted, but just because something is widely accepted, does that, in fact, make it true? Truth is truth. When discerning wisdom, stick to the facts of the matter, not your feelings or opinions or the opinions of others. Jesus said in Matthew seven thirteen, Enter through the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. For there are many who go that way. However, the narrow is the gate and difficult is the road that leads to life, and few find it. I want to highlight this again. Again, it's very ironic that we live in a culture or a society that is highly sensitive and tolerant, but we live in a world that pushes a message of individualism but expects us to um, crucify a critical thinker, someone who is independent. I imagine a time when the Inklings, back in the 40s, one of the most famed writing circles that ever existed, encompassed two stars... As they gathered in local pubs around Oxford Square, the two stars of that group, C.S. Lewis and J.R.R. Tolkien, could not be more polarly opposed. They, one an atheist, one a Christian, could not be more polarly opposed in their worldview, but yet still gathered, yet still encouraged one another, having a respect for one another's writing ability and their gift, would praise one another and candidly criticize one another as they produced classics that we are still reading today, that still shape today, they had an ability to have a healthy respect for one another and their beliefs, even though they were opposed, because they saw a gift within them. Do we see that existing today? Not as much. But see, when we turn to God's Word and we listen to the Word of David here in Psalm 19, he says, David, the unqualified king, the one who was the teenager selected, who wasn't even invited to the party, if you go back and read that, amongst his brother he was the least, would be the one who would slay the giant and he'd be the one that would usher in the presence of God amongst the people of God. His response is the instruction of the Lord that we read in the Bible is perfect, has the ability to renew our lives unlike any other book that exists. 
And Jesus mimicked that in John 4, 13 through 14. This is the message paraphrase. It says this. Jesus said, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again and again and again. But anyone who drinks of the water I will give will never thirst, not ever. The water that I will give will be an artesian spring, showing up within him like fountains of endless life. As we read here, God's word is perfect, but it's also trustworthy. As stated before, it's ultimately our plumb line, grounding us and simultaneously leading us. Allowing a culture that's constantly moving and outdating because of the digital age is like trying to hit that moving target I talked about. There's no grounding in that. The scriptures allow us to breathe, being both perfect and trustworthy, making the inexperienced wise. And ultimately, they can truly renew us, unlike everything else in the world that promises to satisfy but always comes up short. I want to challenge you by understanding this. The very spirit that inspired these fallible writers, that, cho- that inspired even David, the un- imperfect, but yet had a, God, a God-sized heart, a heart like his. That very spirit that inspired these scriptures also is the same spirit that raised him from the dead that we celebrated just a couple weeks ago. And it's the spirit that in- indwells you and I, that same spirit indwells you and I when we believe on him for Lord and Savior. So if we are sensing the Lord leading us in a certain direction by the power of the Spirit within, we can always find affirmation in His Scripture because it was written by the same Spirit. It's not going to be contradictory. It's so funny that the lie of the culture is that the Scriptures contradict themselves. But remember, the message of culture is, is be individual but go the way of the masses. Be individual but fit in. See, it's so funny. It creates the greatest alibi for itself by exposing and saying a lie that it actually does. But David, the one who was not invited, yet the one who slayed the giant. David, the one who would fail God, but also would usher in the presence of God when he submitted, says not only is it perfect, it's trustworthy, and it renews our life. Because the one who instructed it and wrote it down is the one who loved us and created us in his image. Can I just say this? We have said, as a church, being Bible-centered is a value of ours. Okay? What that means is this. That we have to chuck anything that doesn't come from the Bible. What, okay, let me be clear. We have... A lot of traditions. And traditions are great. I love them. However, if your tradition was informed by your culture, it goes once you say you're Bible-centered. Hello? So, like, no one here should feel offended when, the God, when God says, hey, it's more about you dying to self and what God says goes. When the church at large says, hey, we're more concerned about what the Bible says informs and instructs us in, we're willing to check even the most most loved of traditions if those weren't first informed by the Bible. If they're not biblical, we don't do it. Amen? So we're not going to corporately ask anyone what we wouldn't expect of them individually. We know and trust God's Word is perfecting and renewing and it is trustworthy. So if we're going to ask of that for anyone in here to trust it and to immerse themselves in said truth, not that we determine truth, Because we have an agenda and we piggyback the Bible onto it. That's how we got denominations, by the way. Hello? We had an agenda that we tried to couple Scripture onto to prove our point. We have never graven God in our image. Hello? 
We were graven in His. So we are not today going to flip the order. We're not going to flip the routine. We're not going to start by saying, okay, we're going this way, now God bless it. We turn to the Scripture and go, God, this is who you are. This is what you said. This is what you require of your people. We will do that no matter if that offends us or causes our flesh to die. It doesn't build us up. It tears the flesh down so that we can create more space for that spirit that is leading that raised you from the grave. Amen? So we will trust you because we recognize that the precepts, verse 8 of chapter 19, the precepts of the Lord are right, making the heart glad. The command of the Lord is radiant, making the eyes light up. Listen, never forget that we as believers have the fullness of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit to illumine and apply His truth. By immersing ourselves in Scripture, we turn the Holy Spirit in our lives loose to accomplish His purposes. And here's a bigger question. Do we simultaneously handcuff the Holy Spirit if we don't expose our minds to His instructions? Do you want to handcuff the Holy Spirit in your life? Do we want to handcuff the Holy Spirit in this church? We've talked about Him stirring. We've talked about Him wrestling. Do we want to stand in the way of what God may want to do? If you do, there's a firm way to do it. Just dismiss anything He says. Immerse yourself in culture's message and stop listening. Does reading and engaging with studying the Bible make your heart glad? Does it make your eyes light up? Do you rejoice in reading the Word or is it a bore? And if that is true, what's it say of you? That should say something. How many of you have ever been in love? The Bible says that God is the lover of our soul. However, you remember what it was like. I, I dated. My wife is here today. We dated for a period during our engagement, and we were afar. And it, it was excruciating to be distant from her. But when I got with her, I just, you know, couldn't wait to be with her. Couldn't wait to marry her just so she could come home with me. You know, I wanted to be with her. I wanted to be with her. And that is a fundamental belief when it comes to a disciple. We have to be with Jesus. That's what the garden was created for, that we would walk in step with him. There's a cosmic order here, though, and I want us to get it straight because we didn't grave in him in our image. He is, we are graven into his. It's not about waiting until God changes your heart about the Word so that you can get into the Word. It's about getting into the Word and placing yourself at His feet so that He can change your heart through His Word, making your heart glad, making your eyes light up, making you desire to be with Him. You've got to start somewhere. Because John 1 says that God is our first John, sorry, first John 7 says that God is in fact love. That means that the instruction that gave, he gave us is pure. David writes it. God's instruction is also pure. It says the fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The ordinance of the Lord are reliable and altogether righteous. In a day and age of fake news and broad acceptance, watering down purity and morality, the Bible brings us back to God's original design for us. Ultimately, Purity is not about God holding back from us. Rather, it's about God wanting to save us for something better. Like culture, God has an agenda, but unlike culture, God's agenda is selfless. Jesus gave himself to death, overcoming it so that we could live. Culture has an agenda, but we have to decide that God's agenda is more important. Jesus said this of the Pharisees when they came to him. He said, if you knew the truth, the truth would set you free in John 8, 31. He said, 
Jesus said to the Jews who had believed in him, if you abide in my word, take up residence and stay here, immerse yourself in it, then you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. God's not some overbearing boss or parent, nor is he a pushover or doormat. We learn that God is reliable and altogether righteous through his word and he loves us. In verse 10 through 14, I'm just going to read verse 10 because I think it's important. It says, it is for our pleasure. God's instruction is for our pleasure. It says that they are more desirable than gold, than the abundance of gold and sweeter than honey dripping from the honeycomb. But I got to ask you this. Do you actually long for God's word more than do the riches of the world? Would you rather be famous in your father's eyes or famous on Instagram? See, the thing about Bible is the Bible puts everything into perspective. God begins to remind us through his word that we are not what we do, not what we have, not what we've done, or even who we know. God's word tells us who he is and, in fact, who we are. And sometimes, to learn that, we've got to get into a place that takes the very complex back to the very simple. So are you guys okay with me doing this for a second? How many of you remember pre-K? Remember pre-K? Um, it's story time. Okay? Let's imagine taking these very complex truths that God wants to give us in the Bible, and we're going to take it down to the likes of a storybook. So grab your carpet square. Come over here. Meet me at the reading circle. My wife was a first grade teacher who used to ask me to come in to read to her class. I'd come in and read stuff like, okay, guys, let's sit down. We're going to talk about Black Hawk Down. You know? Kids are like, you know, story time. This morning, I want to read from a book that Heather and I have both read to our children repeatedly. We love this book because we believe it takes the truth of Scripture and makes it rather simple, digestible. It's the book, You Are Special, by Max Lucado. Now, to prepare yourself for story time, we have to get our oohs and ahs right, okay? When you hear something that is appealing, ooh, right? But when we hear something where the light bulb goes off, ah, right? I'll, look, I'll do my part if you do yours. This is a collective story time. This ain't just about me. It's a we thing. You Are Special by Max Licato. The Weemakes were small wooden people. All of the wooden people were carved by the woodworker named Eli. His workshop sat on a hill overlooking their village, but each Weemick was different. Some had big noses, others had large eyes, some were tall, others were short. But all were made by the same carver, and all lived in the village. Told you I'd do my part. All day and every day, the Weemicks did the same thing. They gave each other stickers. Each Weemick had a box of Golden Star stickers and a box of Gray Dot stickers. Up and down the streets, all over the city, they, people spent their days sticking stars or dots on one another. The pretty ones, with smooth wood, fine paint, always got stars. But if the wood was rough, paint chipped. The Weemicks gave dots. There you go. The talented ones got stars, too. Some could lift big sticks high above their heads or jump over tall boxes. Still, others knew big words or could sing pretty songs. Everyone gave them stars. Some Weemicks had stars all over them, 
every time they got a star, it made them feel so good. It made them want to do something else to get another star. Others, though, could do little. And they, they got dots. Punchinello was one of these. He tried to jump high like the others, but he always fell. And when he fell, the others would gather around to give him dots. Sometimes when he fell, his wood got scratched, so people would give him more dots. Then, when he would try to explain why he fell, he would say something silly, and the Weemix would give him even more dots. After a while, he had so many dots that he didn't know, he didn't want to go outside. He was afraid. He would do something dumb, such as forget his hat or step in the water or people would just give him another dot. In fact, he had so many gray dots that some people would just come up to him and give him one for no reason at all. He deserves lots of dots, the wooden people would say. He's not a good wooden person. After a while, Punchinella believed them. I'm not a good Weemick, he would say. The few times he did go outside, he hung around other Weemicks who had lots of dots. He felt better around them. One day, he met a Weemick who was unlike any he'd ever met. She had no dots, no stars. She was just wooden. Her name was Lucia. It wasn't that people didn't try to give her stickers. It's just that those stickers never stuck. Some of the Weemicks admired Lucia for having no dots. So they'd run up and give her a star. But it would fall off. Others would look down on her for having no stars. So they'd try to give her a dot. But it, it wouldn't stay either. That's the way I want to be, thought Punchinello. I don't want anyone's marks, he said. I want to be a stickerless Weemick. I want to know how she did it. So he went to her and he asked her. She said, it's easy. Every day I go see Eli. Eli? Yes, Eli, the woodcarver. I sit in the workshop with him. Why? Well, why don't you go find out for yourself? Go up the hill. He's there. And with that, the Weemick, who had no stickers, turned and skipped away. But, but will he want to see me? Punchinello cried out. Lucia didn't hear. So Punchinello went home. He sat near a window. He watched the wooden people as they scurried around, giving each other stars and dots. It's not right, he muttered unto himself. So he himself decided to go see Eli. He walked up the narrow path to the top of the hill and stepped into the big shop. His wooden eyes widened at the size of everything. The stool was as tall as he was. He had stretched up to his tippy toes to see the top of the workbench. A hammer was as long as his arm. Punchinello swallowed hard. I'm not staying here. And he turned to leave. Then he heard his name, Punchinello. The voice was deep. It was strong. Punchinello stopped. Punchinello, how good to see you. Come, let me look at you. Punchinello turned slowly, looked at the large bearded craftsman. You know my name. Of course I do. I made you. Eli stooped down, picked him up, set him on the bench. Hmm. The maker thought. And he looked at the gray dots. He says to him, look. It looks like you've been given some bad marks. 
Well, I, I didn't mean to, Eli. I really tried hard. Son, you don't have to defend yourself to me, child. I don't care what other Wemics think. You don't? No, and you shouldn't either. Who are they to give stars or dots? They're Wemics, just like you. What they think doesn't matter, Punchinello. All that matters is what I think, and I think that you are pretty special. Punchinello laughed. Me? Special? Why? I can't walk fast. I can't jump. My pain is peeling. Why do I matter to you? Eli looked at Punchinello, put his hands on those small wooden shoulders, and spoke very slowly. Because you're mine. That's why you matter to me. Punchinello had never had anyone look at him like this, much less his maker. He didn't know what to say. Every day, I've been hoping that you would come, Eli explained. Well, I came because I met someone who had no marks, said Punchinello. I know, she told me about you. Why don't the stickers stay on her? The maker spoke softly. Because she has decided that what I think is more important than what they think. The stickers only stick if you let them. What? The stickers only stick if they matter to you. The more you trust my love, the less you care about the stickers. I'm not sure I understand. Eli smiled. You will. But it'll take time. You've got a lot of marks. For now, just come see me every day. And let me remind you just how much I care. Eli lifted Punchinello off the bench, set him on the ground. He said, remember, Eli, as the Wemick walked out the door, you are special because I made you and I don't make mistakes. Punchinello didn't stop, but in his heart he thought to himself, I think he really means it. And when he did, one dot fell to the ground. Friends, being Bible-centered is not ultimately about loving or worshiping the Bible itself. It's about loving and worshiping Jesus who shows himself to us through the Bible and speaks to us through the Bible. It's not about hungering after the Word for the Word's sake. It is about hungering after the Word because it points to Christ. And he's the one who gave his life so that we could live. This morning, any disciple seeking to reconnect with your Maker has to be willing to turn their back on the cultural message that is so loud and reconnect at the table that, that celebrates. Listen, it celebrates just like Jesus did the night with his disciples on the night that he was betrayed by culture, that his body would be broken and his blood be spilled so that we could have life. His very last practice with the people that he came to walk amongst to show God's love and to show what walking with God in step looked like was to show them culture has betrayed me it will also betray you come do this in remembrance of me this morning we have it available every week but oftentimes I feel like we miss the opportunity today do not miss that opportunity to reconnect with your maker by coming and listening to the words that he last gave us before he ascended in Acts 1.8 it was this you'll be my martyrs so that this message of hope gets out to the rest of the world. So that they care more about what I think than what others think. Here it is. You'll be willing to die to self. To deny yourself. 
to not care what others think, and you'll be willing to trust me at my word because it is your plumb line, because it is perfect, because it is pure and came from a place of love, and because it is for your pleasure. As you come this morning, and as the band is coming now, do not miss the opportunity to reconnect with the one who loves you more than anyone else on the planet, more than anyone else in this room, by coming to his table and saying, I re-enlist. If my body be broken and my blood be spilled for the sake of this very important message, so be it. Because his body was broken and his blood was spilled to give it to me.